Hi, this is Jenny Procopi from chronicbabe.com, and we are at lesson nine on communication. So if you've made it this far, I'm so proud of you. There's still so much left to learn. And today, we're talking with friend and writer Jeanette Fulda. She's a writer, web designer, and a chronic headache sufferer. And you've probably heard of her book, Chocolate and Vicodin, My Quest for Relief from the Headache That Wouldn't Go Away. And it's the cutest book cover, and it's such a great story. I mean, I don't have chronic headache, and I loved reading the book. So I think anybody with chronic illness and, and chronic pain will could benefit from reading it. Um, she's so relatable, and we're going to talk today about communication techniques. If you want to check out um, anything else about Jeanette, she's got all kinds of stuff at her website. It's JeanetteFulda.com, J-E-N-N-E-T-T-E-F-U-L-D-A.com. So welcome, Jeanette. Thanks for being here today. Well, thanks for having me. I always love to have fellow chronic babes in the mix here because, you know, you know from experience, what it's like to deal with all the stuff that we deal with, um, just like our listeners. Yeah, I don't think it, you know, the people who really face it every day kind of understand it the best. Yeah, I, I totally agree. There's just uh, nothing nothing like being in the trenches with it um, or partying with it. Let's, well, I don't want to be so negative. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, you know, today we're going to talk about communication techniques just because I think it's something that all of us who thrive as chronic babes um, have, I don't want to say mastered, but really worked on. So I'm wondering, just for starters, I'd love to see if I could hear a list. How do you, like, can you name all the ways that you communicate with people about your health? Like all the mediums you use? I think at first, one of the first things I used was my blog, because at the time I um, was running a blog at pastaqueen.com, mm. and I'd gotten this headache on, I remember the exact day, it was February 17th of 2008, I got a headache, and it wouldn't go away. And I sort of tried to avoid writing about the first few months, because I didn't know what was going on, but then it's become such a huge part of my life, I felt like I needed to write about it, or else mm. I was keeping this huge secret. Yeah. So that that was it was good and bad. I really did feel good just kind of pouring my soul out and telling people what you're going on. Um, and the good thing was I got a lot of support and a lot of good comments. I think the bad thing, though, is people start to send you lots and lots of cures. And <laughs> yeah. this and that. And, yeah, and you get this list of, like, I mean, literally over 100 things. I've collected a list over the years. And it's just like, how could you possibly do all of these things? I would still be working my way through everything. So you kind of have to... You have to pick and choose the ones you really yeah. think might work or for you. So the blog is one way. I would say I also visited a lot of like online forums. I didn't necessarily post a lot, though. I tended to just read what was there um, and use that as leads to maybe investigate other things or to uh, you know figure out maybe what headache clinic might be good for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also I have actually met a few people on Twitter where we. Okay. You know, sometimes they'll have Twitter chats or little hashtag things like that. Um, or maybe someone who's read my book contacts me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've actually done a lot of email uh, between like people who read, read my blog or perhaps have gotten a chronic headache themselves and been doing web searches and found you know, out that I have had this condition, so they'll email me asking me, you know, what have you tried? Does anything work for you? Mm-hmm. We'll kind of have a back and forth talking about our own problems. And that's actually really great because... Yeah, those people really understand what you're going through, and some of them, 
maybe are farther down the line from where I am. You know, they've maybe come to a more of a point of an acceptance and coping. And some of them are actually people who have just started. So they, uh, yeah. they you know, they are like, what should I do? You know, what, what can I try? How can I get rid of this thing? So it's, it, you kind of get both viewpoints on that. Um, and then I've also talked to some people just in person, um, either because maybe at a book signing or something like that, mm-hmm. or uh, when I was doing promotions for my for my book, I got to meet a couple of bloggers, just like, like talking on the phone or, or meeting in person to blog about headaches or chronic conditions. And they, they too really relate to, to what you go through, even if they don't have chronic headache. It's just dealing with chronic illness, you, you kind of have to learn a lot of the same techniques and mm-hmm. things like how to communicate with people and how to really deal with your condition. Yeah. And then uh, in terms of like talking about your health with – for example, friends and family or your healthcare providers. I'm guessing that you also use like phone calls. Um, yeah, uh, I would say most of the conversations I have are in person at appointments. You know, with mm-hmm. healthcare providers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have done. I have phoned sometimes if I if I need a refill for a prescription, or uh, you know, have a phone nurse usually that you can contact or leave a voicemail message with if you have a question or have mm-hmm. something that's non-urgent, not something that needs to be taken care of right away. Yeah. They'll usually call you back. Um, I haven't ever emailed any healthcare providers, even though I would like to. Um, usually the problem is they have to comply with PIPA, which is like yeah. the privacy, privacy laws uh, for health, health. You know, it's supposed to maintain privacy. Mm-hmm. So you can't, you know, your doctor can't just set up a Gmail account and have you send stuff to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It has to, they have to assure that an email can't be intercepted and that only the person who's authorized to read it will read it. So yeah, I had a really, I, like, in, yeah, I had a really interesting conversation with Dr. Val in our lesson in Chapter Seven on relationships. She's an MD, and we talked a lot mm-hmm. about um, emailing doctors, and she also mentioned like. Most, I mean, the vast majority of healthcare providers don't get paid for the time that they're on email, and so oh. it's really challenging for them to beyond the HIPAA stuff, which is really challenging, and really they have to be super careful. Um, they they don't get paid for any of that time, and so she said, you know, it's not that, and she she was awesome. She stressed like it's not that we don't want to take care of you because we do and we right. care. But we also have to make a living, and if we spend all day emailing our patients, we don't get paid anything. And then also she talked about people, doctors who might put something in an email, and then um, patients can sue them for that. <laughs> and that there's all oh, kinds really? of, yeah, that there's all kinds of legal ramifications oh, for diagnosing. Like they're not supposed to diagnose over email. They're not. So I mean, it's it's a weird. There are a lot of things that I had not even been aware of. Um, about emailing my doctor, and I I do email with my doctor, so I I'm like, wow, he's brave. <laughs> well, actually, I have a friend who's a radiologist, and I actually emailed her just informally about mm-hmm. some of my my scans because you can actually get I, I was able to get my like my MRI and CT scans on a CD where you can mm-hmm. actually just open it up and view them on the computer. So okay. she's actually she took a look at them for me and was like, okay, yeah, see, this is where this is you know this is where you have the weird vein grouping <laughs> <laughs> and uh-huh. all that stuff. And she was she was able to interpret it and like tell me what different things were. But you know she's not she's not my doctor. She's my friend who's a radiologist. So sure. She, She's not billing me. It's not in a professional capacity. And you're not going to sue um, her if she didn't spot me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> one, one nice thing with the, the 
digital technology. But my my neurologist is actually able to prescribe prescriptions like the computer. He's able to send the prescription order to my CVS pharmacy, and they get it. So I don't yeah. have to you know, bring in a slip or anything, which yeah. that is really convenient and handy. Yeah, I've been <laughs> loving that. My doctor's been doing that too, and he can even send them to um, my mail order prescription pharmacy that my insurance company requires oh, me to use. Yeah, and that just sa- yeah. it just saves so much time and hassle, and then everything's really well documented, not in my slightly messy file of stuff. I mean, I'm working on getting it tidied up, but like a good chronic babe should. But, um, but you know, it's so much easier to just have it digitally because I'm digitizing all my mm-hmm. medical records right now. So, And I found um, actually some of my my doctors uh, use laptops for, for mm-hmm. everything. I know my most recent neurologist has everything on the laptop and he's able to scroll through and look at previous medications we've tried, you know, how, how I've rated my pain at different uh, appointments, and he's able to really maybe look at all the information <clears throat> right in front of him. Whereas yeah. I know sometimes maybe some of my older doctors or, or you know aren't necessarily adapting or, or taking yeah. on the new technology. Um, so that would be kind of interesting to see how how long it takes for doctors to really get yeah. into those digital uh, formats. It does seem like it could improve the way that we communicate with them in person at mm-hmm. those doctor appointments and also just for them to have all that stuff that they can show us um, so quickly, like you said, and, and do statistic analysis, statistical analysis too. Like if you're reporting mm-hmm. certain pain levels or, or have symptoms they can track over time, I think that's kind of fantastic. So is your neurologist, I know like you probably have a primary care physician, but do you feel like mm-hmm. you see your neurologist more often? Is that kind of your main? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, like the first year or two I had the headache, I was going to a lot of different doctors. You know, I started with my primary physician and then mm-hmm. I got referred to other people. And I also tried, you know, some, you know, Eastern medicine, tried, like acupuncture. Mm-hmm. I also did some massage and all that stuff. Um, I've gotten to a point now where, my pain is it's lower than it was, and it's sort of maintaining around that level. But okay. we could still, it would be good to get rid of the headache. Yeah, <laughs> there are yeah. days where it flares up. Um, you know, I'm, I'm coping. I'm doing okay. So I'm sort of, I'm still seeing doctors, but not as actively as I did in the first okay. year or two. Uh, so I do see the neurologist uh, every three months or so. And we're just, right at this point, we're just kind of uh, altering dosages on my medications and seeing if anything like that mm-hmm. works. We also did... Uh, some injections, uh, some steroid injections, like around my head and neck, to, to see if that would help. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really get any results with that. Mm-hmm. So, so I, mean, I, I see him pretty regularly. I see him more than my regular doctor. Okay. So in terms of like when you're communicating with him, what's how what kind of techniques do you use? What's your primary mode of communication, and what do you, what do you think has wound up working well for you? They actually have a, a standard questionnaire that I fill out every time that I go there. Oh, that okay. uh, asks it asks you like, okay, do you, how much better or worse do you feel since you first came here, uh, mm-hmm. since the last appointment? And they'll ask me things like, how how often has your uh, headache prevented you from doing you know work or activities like that? And, uh, how many times has it, your headache made you frustrated, uh, things like that. So that, that helps them track things over time, too, to see if mm-hmm. I'm getting better or worse. Um, so that, that's actually one of the best ways to communicate with him. Um, okay. I would say sometimes, you know, you're 
it is maybe hard to bring things up if you're embarrassed or <laughs> something. Oh yeah. Um, like, like I needed to talk about birth control because I wanted to know, like, okay, how how could going on birth control affect my headache? Because it affects your, you know, hormonal levels and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I have to admit, you know, I was I was a little bit embarrassed <laughs> asking oh, yeah. uh, about that stuff. But you know, you do it because you need to. Um, yeah. You just try to kind of get over it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you got to figure they hear every kind of weird thing all the time. Mm-hmm. So, like, your request for birth control is, is probably, like, so low on the scale of shit that he hears all the time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I know it's hard. I mean, I've struggled with the same thing. I mean, I every year I go, you know, to the gynecologist, get my annual checkup, and, you know, that conversation. And now I've had the same doctor for a few years, and he we have a great like, he comes in, he spends a lot of time with me, he asks how I am, he asks, you know, how's your boyfriend, how's your work, how's your family, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. He's he's great. I mean, he really is a great communicator, and uh, that makes it easier for me to then say, well, I'm not going to say everything I say in my appointment, but it makes it easier <laughs> for me to, you know, I'm not going to, like, reenact an appointment right now, but it makes it easier for me to ask him questions that are more delicate in nature, the kind of thing that I would maybe only talk to my sisters and my best friend about, um, <clears throat> because he's a doctor and he's there to take good care of me. But, I mean, those are the kinds of conversations that I could not, like, I could not email him those questions, you know. I want to <laughs> yeah. I want to see him there in person, Um you know, it's and there's there's a body language thing, and there's you know I want him to see how serious I take things, and um, or how yeah, it, you know, it's good to have a r- good rapport with the doctor and someone who knows what you are like regularly, so then they'll mm-hmm. they'll notice if something's off, or if you seem depressed yeah. or, or more stressed out than normal, if you don't look as healthy, or if mm-hmm. you've gained weight or, or lost weight, if that mm-hmm. that might be related to some sort of medical condition. So yeah. I, I moved recently. Actually, I lived in Indianapolis for about 10 years, and I had a really good relationship with my doctor there. So that was the thing. By moving, I had to get a whole new set of doctors. Uh, um, and I, yeah, I got a recommendation from my old headache clinic for the new place I'm at, and I've been really happy there. Uh, but good. it was kind of, you know, you have to start You have to start from scratch. You have to build this whole new relationship and mm-hmm. uh you know, I'd say my doctor, the neurologist right now, is less talkative than the other one, but okay. I, I've had, I think, better results, actually, oh, <laughs> with the latest okay. one, which is strange. I don't know um, what that accounts to. I don't know. Maybe he just, you know, left out and got the right medications or what. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of interesting, but uh, that's one of the things with moving. It was kind of a big that was something I really considered. Like, okay, I'm gonna have to have to find a new neurologist. Yeah, that's always so tough when people move. It's it's I I've stayed in Chicago for a really long time, so I feel really lucky. If I had to move, I'd be pretty nervous about that aspect of it. Well, we've we've talked a lot about you know healthcare providers. Thinking more now on the personal side, like when you're not feeling well, how do you communicate that to to people you know personally, like your friends or I don't know if you have family in town or what, but um, yeah, I have a brother and sister-in-law in town. Um, okay. And actually, what we have is uh, one of the headache clinics I went to uses a scale of one to five for your mm-hmm. headache. Okay, and you. A lot of places they'll make you keep a headache diary, you know, where you mm-hmm. keep a, you'll have to record it. 
either when you have a headache or like with me, I, I had to record it like in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, like what mm-hmm. number I was because they okay. look for patterns to see if, you know, like sometimes right before your period, your headache will be worse because of sure. changes. Um, and sometimes it can be weather or something you eat me. So we would keep track of it on that one to five scale. So I've, I've educated my family and my friends on this scale. So when they, they ask me, well, how are you doing? I'm like, oh, well, I'm in a number three right now. <laughs> so okay. they okay. kind of understand where I am pain-wise. Uh, yeah. So if I'm like a four, they're like, oh, okay. Or, but if I'm down at a two, then that's not okay. as bad. <clears throat> so having that language really helps. And I kind of prefer the 1 to 5 than to the 1 to 10 scale. 1 to 10 is actually kind of more common. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like the 1 to 5 because there's definitely a distinct difference between each each you know number. Okay. Uh, whereas when, when you do the 1 to 10, you're kind of like, well, a 7. Is a 7 that different from an 8? Right. Or is it I, too much different from a 6? Yeah, <laughs> I struggle with that a lot. And what's interesting, I've read, I've read some research about this. And, I mean, a lot of pain clinics, I mean, in my pain clinic where I go and get treatment and, see my pain psychologist every week and I see my doctor every couple months for checkups and stuff and my physical therapist is there they use the the one to ten scale and sometimes I'm like well last night I was at like a six but maybe it was a seven I don't know there was a few minutes there where I think I was an eight I really wanted to like you know throw something through the window I mean it's how do you know and I, I I remember one day I went in for PT and um, this was with an old uh, past physical therapist, and he was so funny. He said, you look like you are going to kill someone. And I said, yeah, my pain is so <laughs> insane today. It's it's not a 10. It's more than a 10. And he, he we were both fans of Spinal Tap, and he was like, you turned that pain up to 11. <laughs> and I started laughing so hard. It was like, yes, it's an 11. It's not on the scale, dude. The scale is, the scale is meaningless to me right now. All I can tell you is I can't function. You know, it's like, it's those yeah. are difficult, but it's cool when you can find one also, that you like and relate to. Yeah, and I also feel, feel like there's a difference between pain and suffering. I think mm-hmm. pain is sort of a, it refers to just the level of whatever, whatever's going on in your head, you know, whatever, yeah. that, that kind of static state. Suffering is more the way you perceive it. Yeah, um, sure. Because, you, you'll see some people, like, you know, at circuses or things that can, like, you know, lay down on a bed of nails or they'll be suspended by, uh, you know, something connected to their lip or whatever, and they'll say that they're not in pain. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just somehow, they're, you know, you're able to access parts of your brain where you're just kind of able to turn it off or not sure. pay attention to it. Sure. Um, and you kind of think they're, like, Zen monks <laughs> out there <laughs> who have this, this way to, to do something so that even though they're, you know, their pain or they have sort of the same things going on. They're not they're not suffering from it. They're sort of able to do something mentally. But yeah. I don't know if, you know, everyone wants to go out and become a Zen monk. <laughs> it's really not practical. <laughs> yeah. So I find we, one of the things, one of my coping techniques is trying not to think about the pain because that yeah. actually helps me you know, not be in as much pain. Yeah, I've, I've definitely With, used, like, distraction and visualizations and all kinds of stuff to learn how to block it. Which yeah, is, and that kind of counter to, to the, the idea of communication and wanting to communicate about your, your pain, your headache. Sometimes you just don't want to communicate with it because you yeah. don't want to think about it or have to, to go into it and, and mm-hmm. be there with it. Yeah, I think I've, I've learned over the years, and it was kind of hard a lesson to learn, but I've learned that there are times when I can be in a lot of pain and, for example, a friend or someone might say to me, how are you doing? And I may say, you know what, I'm in a lot of pain, but let's just not think about it. 
And people who are close to me get that. If I say that to them, they know that I'm really struggling, but I want to be distracted and think about and do other things. And that helps me. And, but I think I've, over the years, I've needed to learn how to say to people, hey, if I say this to you, this is what it means, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I've been explicit with people, and I think that's one thing I've really learned that I really struggled with at the beginning is just to just be very explicit with people. Um, yeah, so, and I think at the beginning, you're sort of holding on to your old reality, and you don't want the pain to, to mm-hmm. stop you from doing all the stuff you used to. But I think mm-hmm. once you kind of accept the new normal, you're able to say, okay, I really can't go out to a club until 3 in the morning anymore. Yeah, <laughs> right. I just need to tell people that and, and deal with that. And, and handle it, yeah. So how do you, to to that, I'm I'm wondering, like, I hear a lot of people talking about not feeling well and they really come off as whiners. And I know I might catch a lot of flack for saying that, but heck, I've been a whiner myself. And um, I'm wondering, like, do you have a favorite thing to say to people that lets them know? I mean, it sounds like you've got the pain scale thing worked out, but do you have anything else that you ever say to people so that they know that you're in pain, but you're not like, um, really hurting, you know, kind of... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think it really is a challenge. I think it's it's easier with people who really know you because they understand more what you go through. Um, to be honest, I probably don't actually complain about my pain as much as I should in other situations because I mm. don't want to be a whiner. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I've really found a way to, to, to say things without seeing, you know, yeah, looking like I'm weak because you don't want to be the weak person at work, the person who can't right. keep up with things. So, I mean, and some uh, of it's just people's perceptions. Like some people, you could say the most mild thing and people would perceive you as being a huge whiner. And that's just mm-hmm. on them, you know, because you can't change the baggage that they bring to the situation. Yeah, I think if anything, maybe it's more other people's problems than yours. Mm-hmm. You know, if you just you say it as, you know, calmly and, and don't use that kind of, <laughs> kind of yeah. tone of voice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think there's only so much you can do. Uh, uh-huh. Some people will understand what you're going through and others just won't. And, yeah. Uh, oh, I, I used to know this woman who had fibromyalgia, and she would um, – I actually wrote about her once on Chronic Babe, a story called Embrace the Wine, if anybody wants to go read it. Um, she <laughs> – <laughs> we would when we would be together she would just moan constantly <laughs> like through her all so she would just be like Mah. like we'd be hanging out we'd be riding in a car and she'd be like Mah. and I'd say hey are you okay and she'd be like no I'm, I'm fine I'm fine Mah. and I thought you know what just say that you don't feel good it's okay because the whining the moaning is really like working my nerve you know <laughs> mm-hmm. but um I think that's the way not to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, one of the things that I've found is, like, when I ask for what I need, when I'm clear in my communication, I almost always get it. And and I think that's that's great, you know, and part of that's just the relationships I've built with people in my life. But I know in work, when it comes to work, that can be kind of challenging. Now, you're a freelance writer like I am, so... You probably have lots of different clients, and maybe you don't meet some of them in person ever, but, I mean, you have work situations, and you must have to sometimes communicate about your health with them. Do you? Uh, yeah. If, there, if there's been a week where, 
you know, I haven't been able to get things done because I've had to go lie down or, you know, working in front of the computer really isn't the best thing for a headache. Yeah. You, you need to make sure you're, you have, you're in an ergonomic position. You're not putting, you know, strain on your neck because if you, uh, you know, aggravate nerves and stuff in your neck, that can cause the headache to be worse. Uh, sure. You also want to make sure you don't have glare on your computer uh, and all these various things. So, I mean, and I also need to get up regularly for breaks, which I don't do as much as I should. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, you know, So basically there are, there are times when I really can't work. So usually my clients are okay. Um, it's kind of good to know who has deadlines that are very firm and you have to get done. Mm-hmm. And there are other people who are more flexible, and it's like, okay, you know, as long as you get it done in the next few weeks, that's fine. So you can kind of, yeah. like, reorder priorities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're less likely to have to let someone down. Uh, yeah. But there have been times where I've emailed people and been like, okay, I'm sorry, I, you know, I thought I'd get this done this week, but my headache has been kind of bad. And, or yeah. I'll just, I, I might not even say that. I'll just say I haven't been feeling well because they might not necessarily know about my headache story, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't feel the need to go in into my huge long tale of woe. Yeah, <laughs> when I meet, you know, yeah, I'll yeah. just be like, I haven't been feeling well. <laughs> really? You don't want you don't want to tell your whole medical history to every person that you meet. <laughs> I mean, well, that's, that's the nice total... thing about the book. You know, I can just point them to the, here, I've written a book about my... Here, read this. Read this primer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you mean. I mean, I don't want to, you know, with my clients at, in, in different work situations, I mean, most people know, the vast majority of them know that I have chronic illness. And some of them get it, some of them don't. And I'm, I agree with you. I think just keeping track of priorities and and just being really clear. And what I've found is that, you know, the the very rare, it's been extremely rare, rare client who is fussy about it, I, I'm like, well, I'm just going to work with them again. And I know yeah, we don't all have You can fire your clients. Yeah. It's important to remember you can, you can fire them. Definitely. Now, I know people listening who work in an office job, I mean, they may not have that option, but they can choose to not talk about that stuff with a certain coworker who's really thoughtless you know, and hopefully they have a supervisor who understands it or they have someone there who does an HR or whatever and they can get their needs met. I mean, I think that's important. And, and also using good boundaries um, to shield yourself from those coworkers, like we talked about in Lesson mm-hmm. 4, you know, to, to not necessarily go into your whole spiel or song and dance because some people just aren't going to get it. Maybe you just don't really want them to it to be about that. Like you, you don't want to be headache girl. I don't want to be fibro girl. It's just, you know, we want to be professional. Yeah, and that was one of the things. Uh, I, I was working full-time for, for a media company when I got my headache, and I had only been there for like a month. Mm. So I, I really did become headache girl, you know, like yeah. this whole thing. They only knew me for a month before I had the headache. So mm. it, it was kind of strange for me uh, yeah. to have that I, I be so much part of my identity there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were actually pretty good. My boss there got migraines every like a few times a year, so he was fairly sympathetic to okay. my condition. And they did everything, you know, to make my workstation ergonomic and stuff like that, so that I would hopefully be a Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty great. That's pretty great. Well, I know when we're sick, and if you and I, we work for ourselves, this is even more of a challenge, I think, sometimes when we're oh, yeah. really not feeling well, like being isolated is, you know, really challenging. I know I can, if I have a flare-up, I'm on my couch in my apartment, I'm by myself, I can go 
couple days without seeing another human being, and that is not healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you stay in touch with the people who kind of nurture you and help you stay positive when you're feeling your worst? I'd have to say one of the, the best things about writing a book about my condition is I get a lot of reader mail, like emails, uh, yeah. and I, just, I get the greatest emails. They're, they're either from people who, uh, you know, are, are – you know, have a chronic condition, not necessarily a headache, but some people do have a chronic headache, and they'll say stuff like, you know, this book is it finally explained like how I'm feeling, and I was able to give that to my friends or my family to really explain what it's like uh, to deal with this this issue. Um, and you just kind of get a lot of emails from people who just are going through the same thing, and mm-hmm. you can kind of support each other, um, and and really, you kind of you understand, you know, what they're going through. Yeah. Um, as for, you know, socializing with people, I, I usually go to coffee shops to work just so I'm out uh-huh. <laughs> among the people. Great strategy, <laughs> and really yeah. Just, yeah, and just kind of getting out is, is just pretty good, even if you're not, you know, you're not talking about your headache or anything. It's kind of good just to be out among people and, um, you know, doing regular things, you know, not just sitting, you know, in bed, um, mm-hmm. in the dark, or whatever, uh, yeah. even though that can be hard because sometimes really – you just want to sit without anyone around. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes but, I know, like, if I'm having my worst kind of flare up and I really feel like I'm stuck in the house, I'm, I will text my sisters or friends, you know, just to say, like, mm-hmm. hey, I am a mess over here, and you know, and they'll text me a joke or they'll call me and we'll chat for a few minutes or. You know, on the rare occasion I've had people bring me food or come hang out with me because, like, you know, maybe I can't get out, but I can sit on the couch with a friend and watch a movie, and then I just don't feel like mm-hmm. I'm alone with it. But that I have to reach out and make that connection because, like, we're all really busy. You know, my best friend has a son who's 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 in preschool. Like, I mean, people are busy and they have big lives, and so I know that they're not just going to be checking on me all the time, going, "Hey, are you okay? How are you doing?" I mean, mm-hmm. they. It's up to me to kind of, you know, say to people, hey, I'm a mess. I need a little uh, TLC over here. Um, yeah, and I find, I find Twitter and Facebook are good for me for that because those are mm-hmm. the places where people go to check in with their friends and see mm-hmm. what's going on with other people. So if you do put out a message, you're like, oh, man, I really feel like crap today. You know, usually someone will comment or, uh, yeah. you know, ask how you're doing. So you can kind of have just those little things mm-hmm. that do help just yeah, that's I'm with you. Yeah, Twitter's been great for me for that. Just every I try not to do it too much because I realize I could really become that person who's just tweeting every day about their health. And, <laughs> you know, I I gotta say I love y'all, but I unfollow you when you do that because I don't. Want it. It's a bummer. But every once in a while, you don't want to dwell in it, you know. Yeah, it gets you can really wallow in it, and then and then you are to go back to whining. Then you are kind of being a whine. I mean. It's not that. It's like I don't want to reject the idea, and I'm I'm saying this from experience. For anyone who's getting annoyed with me talking about people being whiners, I'm saying this from experience. I've been called a whiner by people when it was inappropriate. I totally know how much that sucks, and I'm certainly not saying everyone who talks about their pain is a whiner. But I think that there are ways to communicate that you need support that are really healthy and and really are going to result in more support because. If you're that person who's tweeting every day or posting on Facebook every single day, uh, I feel like crap today. I feel like crap today. People are, people get like fatigue of that, and they, 
I think they stop responding. And so it's not yeah, that I want to. Even oh, like you, I get sick of feeling bad all the time. They, they can <laughs> yeah. get to a point where they get sick of hearing about how bad you right. feel all the time. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if I did that, I would be so bummed out. So I, I've i actually had moments where I've tweeted and been like, oh, I feel like, crap, this thing is... Blah, blah. And then I will I will actually apologize to my followers and be like, I'm sorry, that I kind of dumped on you. Here's a picture of a teddy bear or, like, here's a picture of a kitten you know, or here's a dirty joke or whatever just to be like, I'm sorry, I totally polluted your Twitter feed with whining. Here is, you know my recipe for bacon chocolate chip cookies or whatever, just something to kind of, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. So maybe I shouldn't feel so bad about it, but I, I do sometimes. It's like, you know, but, um, well, we talked about a lot of different communication styles and relationships and how we talk with people about how we feel and when we need help and stuff like that. Um, before we go, I'm just wondering if there's any, like, kind of like your favorite communication tip for sick folks that we haven't touched on maybe. I know we've really covered a lot of ground, but do you feel like there's anything we haven't talked about that you want to throw in? Um, I think what, just as a general tip is, you know, the most common way you give up power is believing you don't have any. Mm -hmm. So I think you just have to remember that you do have the power to ask for what you need and to make things happen to help you. So remember you have the power to communicate and you can uh, reach out to people and, and get what you need to take care of yourself. A perfect summary to what we've been talking about. I love it. Uh, Jeanette, you're the bomb. Thanks for talking with us today. <laughs> it was fun talking to you. Yeah, great. So in case people join us late, this has been a conversation with Jeanette Folda. She's a writer, web designer, and chronic headache sufferer. And she's the author of a book I really love, Chocolate and Vicodin, My Quest for Relief from the Headache That Wouldn't Go Away. It's a great story for people who have chronic daily headache or migraines or people who don't. I mean, I don't, and I read it, and I loved it. I got so much out of it. It's just great to relate to someone else who's kind of going through something similar to me and has great advice and just great practical um, situations for you to learn from. So uh, you can learn more about Jeanette at her website, JeanetteFolda.com. And um, this has been Lesson 9 on communication. So next up, our last lesson, just one more on tips, tricks, tools, and systems. We're going to be talking with somebody really cool. So thanks for being with us today. And until the next time, be as well as possible. Bye. <laughs>